Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. Today, I want to tackle which in, which is really the most important And for many, the hardest part of being a Christian. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I I, I love, see, God is so, so, so strategic in how he helps me preach and other pastors preach. Let me explain what I mean. We saw on public display, not nationally, but nationally and internationally, a Christian who had to do this publicly in front of everybody. Okay, y'all ain't watched the news. So y'all saw what happened with Botham Jean. Okay, so Botham Jean, if you don't know the story, was a young brother in Texas, Dallas, Texas. He was in his apartment and a cop Amy Geiger, who was, uh, let's say, distracted, went into the wrong apartment, I'm using air quotes, and shot this man in his apartment and killed him while he was eating a bowl of ice cream. Both of them, comes from a Christian family, from St. Lucia, I believe, right? Of devout Christian family. Both of them, Jean, worked for PricewaterhouseCooper as a, an accountant. Botham Jean was a worship leader at his church. Botham Jean was an amazing young man who lived out the Christian virtues every day of his life. Though he wasn't perfect, none of us are. This cop walks into his apartment, kills him. Oh, it was an accident. I thought I was in my apartment and there was this man in there, so I shot and killed him. We go through the trial. The trial, they find her. First of all, they, the Dallas Police Department did fire her. Okay? They saw wrongdoing. Second to that, um, they, 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 convict, they, they, they uh, made her go to trial, to stand trial, to figure out they were going to convict her uh, uh, of murder. Then they had to sentence her. Okay? This went on for a whole year. This happened last year. So for a whole year, Botham John's family has to deal with this pain, this hurt, this sadness of their son innocently being killed by the hands of a cop who claims she went into her whole, went to the wrong apartment. Now, if you don't know the story, you Google it, you follow it. I don't have time to retrace all of that. I'm just trying to get somewhere and show you how we, how this was played out where somebody, a Christian had to show what it means to love your neighbor. But then I'm going to fix it a little bit. Both of John's brother, Brant, Brant. So the, the, the woman was convicted of murder. First degree murder. The cop was convicted of first degree murder. And then the next step was to sentence her. The whole case was crazy. The whole case was crazy. As a matter of fact, the judge put in front of the jury to kind of sway them one way. You guys can consider, if you'd like, in your deliberation, the stand your ground law of Dallas. 
that she was standing her ground by shooting this man. We all know that's wrong. How you, how you going to stand your ground on somebody else's apartment? That makes no sense. But the judge was trying to sway the jury. Okay? So, fast forward. They convict her, sentence her to the very minimum. Ten years in prison. So when they do the sentencing, the families of the victim have a chance to make remarks to the accused. And so, here comes Brant, the younger brother of both of them, sitting on that stand. And Brant says in a shaky, childlike voice, and he's had a whole year to process this, he said, I forgive you. I don't want you to go to jail. His brother, his older brother murdered. This was murder. I forgive you. I don't want you to go to jail. I love you. Then he looks, he does something that was unprecedented. It never happened. I've never seen it before. Looks at the judge and says, judge, can I, can I please hug her? Can I, can I please hug her? And, and, and the judge does something that most judges don't do. Said, and while she's crying, yes. So Brent goes and hugs the woman who killed his brother. Forgave her on public display. And guess what? Guess what? I'm going to be honest with you. That is how we're supposed to do it. Right? I won't talk about too much how I felt about the responses of people who posted it, you know, saying this is how we're supposed to. I won't, I won't get into that because my, it will take me too far off my message. But that act literally is what we're supposed to do as Christians. And it's not an unfamiliar act. Watch this. You know who else did that? The families of the victims at Mother Emanuel Church in South Carolina where a bunch of people gathered, people that looked like most of us in this room, brown-skinned people, African-American people gathered in one of the most historically black churches in South Carolina for Bible study. And because black people and people of color are such forgiving people, we open our doors for all people, whether you're black, white, Latino, straight, gay, or other, we open the door for all people. And here it was, this young white boy who was sitting outside the door while these people assembled for Bible study and he decided he sit, would sit with them in Bible study and they embraced him and they loved him. He sat through the entire Bible study, not taking in the word of God, but taking in the word of Satan because he knew that and when they said amen, he was going to say, uh-uh, it's over and pull out that gun and shoot up everybody at that Bible study. And that's what he did. When they gave the benediction after the Bible study, this young white supremacist shot up all of these people who had gathered for Bible study to unpack and learn more about the word of God. And this young dude took the lives of all but one. And you know why he let one live? He said, I want you to tell everybody else what I did and why I did it. Because I was trying to incite a race war. Trials and deliberations and all of these things happen. And once again, here's that moment where you get to say something to the accused. And the people one by one in that courtroom with their opportunity to make a statement and say, I can't stand you, I hate you, I hope you rot in hell, said totally opposite. As Christians on public display before the whole world, they said, we forgive you for what you did. 
And we hope that you find Christ while you are in prison. I got to be honest with you for just half a second. I know I'm the pastor, and and if I was in a certain tradition, I'd have on a collar and a robe, but I got to be honest with you. I've already played this scenario out of my mind, and as the pastor, I would struggle being that forgiving. Can I just be honest with you for a minute? I want to say what y'all are really feeling. I want to say what social media was feeling when young Brent forgave the woman who not only murdered his son, had evidence in the court proving that she has some issues with race. A woman who spoke ill about one of the greatest leaders who was never a president of this country, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A woman who made derogatory statements about a people group. This boy stood up in that stand and said, I forgive you. I love you. I don't even want you to go to jail. Maybe one day we can be friends. And social media tore this young brother up. And this is what I want to say to you all, and I'll say to even our online community. We're mad at the wrong thing. Because what Brant did and what the people at Mother Emanuel did, they did the right thing. That's what we're all supposed to do. That is the evidence of loving your neighbor. But where I have angst, I'm just going to touch it and I'm going to leave it right there. Where I have angst is people who don't look like us trumpeting the voice of our forgiveness but not speaking on our behalf people who don't look like us who've been silent when both of them was even murdered but all of a sudden that's forgiveness that's how we're to forgive I'm speaking of evangelicals I'm just going to say it who've taken this moment of this brother's real grace, who's taken the moment of this brother's real extension of grace and trumpeted for their own thing to try to say, this is how we forgive. No, 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 no. We forgave y'all for bringing us over here and telling us to leave. Because that's all, all, every time you're not happy with certain things in this country, that's what they say. Then go back to Africa. I didn't want to leave in the first place. I don't think my ancestors wanted to leave one of the richest places in the world with resources. We would love to go back, but you know what? I refuse to leave a place that my people built. Where my people shed blood. I refuse to. So what Brother Brant did and what those who are the family members of of, of the, the victims of Mother Emmanuel, what they did is how we are supposed to forgive. So I don't know where you stood on that fence when you saw this brother forgive, but I want to tell you that's what we're supposed to do. And no greater example than that exists in my opinion. Because honestly, I don't think any of us would be as forgiven. I just said I'm the pastor of this church. And if that happened to my brother, my sister, my mother, my relative, any of (laughs) y'all who may not be my blood relatives, I would struggle with that because the truth is I love that that's how much I love you all right but that's what God requires of us how do I know that when Jesus is on the cross he could have said anything he could have said in his last words before he gave up his last breath he could have said you know what pops <laughs> I know I know you about to change things around 
but go ahead. At least these people right here, you know that dude that spat on me while I was on my way up the hill carrying this cross? Kill him. <laughs> the, the one that nailed these things in my hand, yeah, I'll go ahead and take them out right now. Jesus could have said that. But you know what Jesus said? He had the audacity to say, Father, forgive them. Have any of you ever had a stake drawn through, like, like driven through your hand? And then you hanging while gravity takes its course, you're hanging there and your body weight keeps pulling it down? No, you haven't. Have you had to carry something that weighed almost 800 pounds of solid oak up a hill while people cursed you, spat on you, called you all kinds of names? No, you haven't. Have you ever had to sit somewhere and somebody take their time to literally make a crown of thorns and ram it and slam it and yank it down on your head? I don't think so. None of us have had to do that. Jesus did that and had the audacity to say, forgive them. Some of y'all still mad about that bully in third grade. I'm being real. Some of y'all still mad about that, that, that girl that told you you wasn't cute enough and refused to date you. Some of y'all still mad about that boy that overlooked you and took your best friend to the prom. Some of y'all are mad about the wrong things. And here Jesus is, and here is Brent doing exactly what Jesus did. His heart broken, I mean torn to shreds. He will never on this side of heaven see his brother again, but he has the audacity in that moment to show what we are supposed to do as, as Christians by loving our neighbor. Powerful powerful moment here and that's what we're supposed to do but let me help you out real quick let me give you some scripture to validate my point and I want you to say I did go to church because pastor did read from scripture all right here it is I want to go to Luke chapter 10 because out of all the gospels I like Luke's version because Luke gives us a little more than the others in terms of how we're supposed to live out this thing well, how we're supposed to fulfill the greatest commandment. That's what I love about Luke. Luke was, in case you don't know this, Luke was not a disciple uh, that walked with Jesus, right? But Luke, watch this, was a, a, a very smart guy. He was a physician, so he took notes, right? He was very detailed. Luke got a lot of his personal account about Jesus' life from Jesus' mama. <laughs> he went to Mary to get the account, Right? So, so I love how, how he adds this other layer. Check this out. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37. Well, actually, let me, let me, before I get to there, let me tell you what happens before here because it's going to sound weird when I start there. So here's what happened. A religious leader sees Jesus, just like all the other uh, versions of, of this story say. Religious leader questions Jesus. Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? Okay, Luke says that this, this religious leader tested Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, well, you tell me. And so the dude recites it. That's what's different right there. That's the first different thing. Jesus is like, you trying to test me, but let me see if you even know it. 
So the guy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. And second, that is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was like, right, you got it. You do that, you live. So then this is where it gets juicy. The wise guy says, okay, okay, Jesus. Who is my neighbor? And the Bible says that, 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 that the reason this guy asked is because he's trying to justify his actions. Well, here's what I mean. He's trying to say, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? In other words, I want to justify why I need to even serve them in the first place. Like, is my neighbor just Jewish people? Is my neighbor like, like my next door neighbor? Is, is my neighbor that stinking and wretched and, 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 and vile Samaritan? Them too? Who is my neighbor? Jesus says, you know what? You're not going to get it. So since I'm such a good storyteller, let me help you out. Verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. He said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up. They left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Put your finger on the pause button real quick. Check this out. I want, I want you all to see something. Who asked Jesus the question? A religious leader. Who are the first characters in this story? Religious folk. <laughs> it's going to get good in a minute, y'all. I just want to make sure y'all paying attention. Here it is. Then, here it is. Watch, watch Jesus' words. Watch, I mean, watch Luke's words here uh, uh, with Jesus. He says this, watch this. Then a despised Samaritan came along. You know why he said that, right? Because Jewish people, that's how they looked at Samaritans then. He said that because he wanted to make, he wanted to put this in his face. Somebody you hate, somebody you can't stand is going to be the main character of this story I'm trying to get to you. A despite, he could have just said, why didn't Jesus say a Samaritan came by? Because it's not enough detail. He wants to touch your heart and how you feel about these people, right? So he says a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling them, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Then Jesus threw the question back at him. Now, after hearing that story, homeboy, check this out. Now, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So let's fix that story and make it personal for you. Okay, matter of fact, we need to make it personal for you. Let's fix that story and see how Brent read this story. Brent is the Samaritan. Brent is the one who, who took care of somebody that everybody ignored. Brent is the one. And you know the best thing about what Brent did? <laughs> he gained control of the whole situation. Because when we don't forgive, guess what? 
whoever we're not forgiven, they control us. They're like, we're like puppets. And they're like, every time you see me, you're going to be all up in your feelings because you've not forgiven me. Every time you see a name similar to mine, you're going to be all up in your feelings because you've not forgiven me. Or you won't even go certain places because you know that's where I used to go or you used to go because you all up in your feelings and you have not forgiven me. And Brent in this moment realized that I have right now power to control my emotions for the rest of my life. Or else, if I don't forgive Amy, anytime I see an, a, an Amy, not even this Amy, I'm going to be in my feelings. Anytime I see Dallas police, I'm going to be in my feelings. Anytime I watch Judge Judy, a court, I'm going to be in my feelings. But Brand said, I'm not going to live my life like that. I'm just going to go on ahead and forgive her. I'm going to take it a step further. I want to feel her. And he held her and he hugged her to feel her, to feel that, not knowing, not knowing. And guess what? You know, I did that too, because for the rest of her life, for these next five to 10 years, and while she's in prison, guess how small she feels. And I'm not saying he's done that to make her feel small. He did that so he can make himself feel big, that he is in control of his destiny. And she'll have to, all, the last thing she'll remember while she's sitting in that jail is this dude's brother that she murdered embracing her and wanting her to have a good life. You can see how this story of the Good Samaritan is different for Brandt. Literally, literally said, I don't want you to go to jail. Is that not what Jesus said on that cross? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Then he tells people who earn that crucifixion, don't worry, you will be with me in heaven. This is what we're supposed to do. Who is that in your life? Who is that person that you know is difficult to forgive? It may not be a person. It could be people, a people group. (laughs) It could be any of those things, but we have to gain power and forgive. I want to say a few things that happened really quick in this, in this message. Three things Jesus did in this very moment. Number one, he corrected the Jewish leader's theology. The Jewish leader felt, well, you know, I know you're not considering Samaritans in the group of people you call my neighbor. Because as a devout Jew and a religious leader, I know we don't see them the same way you see us. So it doesn't include them. So Jesus had to correct this Jewish leader's theology. The second thing he did, he gave him a path toward correct understanding. Right? He walked him through the story, pointed out like this is what you need to do exactly what this, this dude did. The despised Samaritan, that's what you, Jewish religious leader person, need to do. Jesus is saying the same thing to us. What I did is what you ought to do. I didn't just choose people that look like me, act like me, believe me, and follow me. I didn't just choose a particular group of people to forgive. Jesus says, I forgave all people. How do we know that? Because God so loved the world, everyone, everything in it, He loved. Everyone. And because God loves them, we are called to love everyone and everything in the world. Number three, this is what he did too. He revealed to him his purpose. And this is where I want to land at. In this, he revealed to him his purpose. Your purpose in life, you exist for a reason. And he revealed that to this man. Your purpose is to forgive this man. 
Because once you forgive him, guess what? He no longer becomes despised. He becomes a brother. And this is what happens. This one woman, Amy Geiger, she no longer becomes the person who murdered my brother. She becomes a person that can be restored, redeemed, and forgiven and be made whole. I don't agree with it. I don't like it. It breaks my heart. If I had my way, I would probably seek revenge. But he says, you know what? Instead of seeking revenge, I'm going to seek salvation. Instead of seeking revenge, I want to seek salvation. Because guess what? If, if her heart can turn from her thoughts, her ideology, from her, her, her judgmental ways, guess what? The next person she talks to, she can change as well. And the person they talk to, they can change as well. In that moment, do you realize, check this out, I'm going to tell you something so powerful. In that moment, do you realize that Brant probably saved an entire generation of hate? In that one single gesture, he probably saved an entire generation of hate. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to give you some notes and we're done. I currently am involved with a lot of pastors, particularly white pastors, who, who, who have pastored their entire life, who have always said, you know, I'm not racist. I'm not, I'm not racist. And, and, and I'm in relationship with these pastors who are sitting here saying, Broderick, how did I go my entire life and didn't see my privilege? I'm telling you, these are pastors. That pastor, predominantly white churches, have sat in front of me Across the table saying, how did I go my entire life with blinders on? I feel like I've been blind my whole life. I did not realize how privileged I, I've been and what, I, how, what my privilege has gotten me. I will never know what it feels like to be, to be uh, shopping at a store and then following me around just because of the color of my skin. These are pastors saying this to me. And they have come from generations of pastors that believed in separate worship services. And they're saying, I want to do whatever I can to change it. Why? So that the next generation of my bloodline does not believe that same ideology that I believe, but I did not know it because it was taught to me. I, 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 don't, I don't know what I don't know. I didn't know there was another way until I saw this. These tragedies that we see online, right? These tragedies that we see uh, happening where people are being killed. Man, it's terrible. It breaks my heart. But it's these moments that are waking up white pastors who didn't know they were blind and had privilege. And I'm speaking to them all the time. Why? Because they want to change a generation. So if I speak to one, I've helped an entire generation. If I embrace one and explain to them why black lives matter, why this is even a thing, if I help them understand that why black people say that, that we follow the white man's religion, and explain to them that you know Jesus. Because some of them, I'm just going to be honest, some of them thought Jesus was white. Even the white pastors. Uh, what school did you go? Oh, you didn't go to seminary. That explains a whole lot. Because you learn that only in seminary. Because pastors ain't going to preach that to you. Right? So I have to tell them. No, no, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was. I said, let's just take it from, a, from just a geographical point. Nobody in that geogra geography, geographic area where Jesus comes from is that pale. Uh, you know what? You're right, but. No, 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 buts. I just want to tell you. And here's the thing I want to tell you that over the decades and centuries, the people in that ge geographic area have gotten lighter. But during Jesus' time, they were darker than they are now.
<laughs> so Jesus, no way in the world or Hades could he have been white. And I share this with them and they're like, okay, you got a good point. Then I go further and say, well, let's look about, let's talk about the early church fathers who helped us even canonize the Bible. They were North African. Now let's go and see what the North Africans look like. Oh, they look like me, not you. So, so it's not the white man's religion. And so I had these conversations with white pastors educating them. And they're just like, I, I, I never knew that. I don't know, it's true. And I do that the same reason that Brant did that. Because I hope that that one conversation saves an entire generation. That's how you love your neighbor. You love your neighbor beyond your comfort zone. You love your neighbor beyond your preferences. You love your neighbor beyond your feelings. <laughs> you love your neighbor beyond your feelings. And so here's, here's three things I want to share with you. We all have a purpose. God never created anything in this world that he didn't give purpose to. Nothing. When he created the sun, the moons, and the stars, they serve a purpose. They give us light. They give us energy, right? When he created the trees, guess what? They serve a purpose. They give us oxygen, right? When he created all of the oceans, they serve a purpose. When he created, I'm still wondering about mosquitoes and flies, but I'm sure they serve a purpose. Come on, somebody. I, I get spiders. Like, like, really, why? But they serve a purpose. Maybe somebody's eating them or something's eating them, right? There is nothing God created that he did not give purpose to. Watch this, including us. So if you think you exist just to exist, you got it wrong. He created everything in the entire world, in the entire universe, and gave it a purpose on this earth to do something. And that did not end with all of those things he created. It all began with us. Because he created all those things. And he said, hold on, hold on. Now I need somebody to manage all this that I created. And he said, okay, uh, I created dirt. So today, dirt's purpose is to make man. So he took the soil, gave dirt a purpose in that moment, and dirt became the purpose to create man. He shaped and molded man, and then he said, oh, I created air. Air, you serve a purpose. Let me breathe it into man so man can have life. I'm preaching already. So he took air, which he created, gave air a purpose. Purpose is to give man life. So he took the air that he created, showed air the purpose, breathed it into man, and man had life. Then he looked at man. He says, okay, man, now I've created you. Let me give you purpose. All that I created, I give you dominion over. So before he gave my wife, he gave him work. I'm talking, I'm talking to single women right there. Single women say Amen. Amen online, amen in the sanctuary. Before he gave a man a wife, he gave him work. So I'm just telling you, if you're looking for a brother, he ain't got no job, he ain't fulfilling his purpose. You've got to work first. Before he gave that man a wife, he said, I'm going to give you work. I want you to be able to watch this. If you can lead these things, if you can shepherd these things, if you can protect these things, if you can multiply these things, then I will give you the thing. Bless you. And so once man took dominion over all of that, 
He says, boom, I'm going to put you to sleep because everything is good and you're doing a good job with the work I've given you, but I'm going to put you to sleep. And he took a rib. And in that moment, he gave a rib purpose. Everything God created has a purpose. He took from the man a rib. Rib, your purpose today is to watch this make woman. And he took from Adam the rib and made a woman. And then he said, woman, here's your purpose to serve him. Don't get mad, women. I don't make the rules. But serving him is not being a subordinate to him. He says, you will be his helpmeet. Meaning you work together to meet a common goal. Right? So woman in that moment had purpose. And I can go on and on to show you that everything God ever created had a purpose. And it's you and I, we have a purpose. We were not born to just be born. We did not exist just to exist. We all have a purpose. I know my time is almost up. Give me about five more minutes to the five minutes I got right there. All right? Here we go. Here's what I want to tell you about your purpose. Your purpose will inconvenience you. Your purpose will inconvenience you. It will inconvenience you. Watch this. Uh, uh, we see in Luke 10, 33-34, Then the despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Right? He saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn. In that moment, that man's purpose was to take care of this man. That was his purpose. And a lot of times we look at interruptions. Many of us, we look at things that interrupt us as things that are distractions or whatever as interruptions. But if you understand your purpose, we don't see interruptions. We see assignments. And that was this man's assignment. When God interrupts your life, could look at that interruption and say, you know what, God, maybe this is your assignment. And this was his assignment to take care of this guy. Hear what I'm trying to tell you. Your purpose in life will be inconvenient. You will have to sacrifice some things to fulfill the God-given purpose that he has in each and every one of us. And that's what he's pointing out here in this parable about the Good Samaritan. It was an inconvenience for this man in this story. And guess what Jesus is saying to that Jewish leader who asked the question? You are going to be inconvenienced. You're going to be inconvenient. I know, I know you're so religious. I know you know all the laws, even those uh, from Moses and the ones y'all made up. But guess what? You ain't doing it right because you have to take care of the Samaritan that you don't like. It's an inconvenience. Brad, I know you want to be angry at this woman who killed your brother. People of Mother Emmanuel Church, I know y'all want to be angry at this white supremacist. But guess what? It's going to inconvenience you. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Bible says forgive so that you can be forgiven. <laughs> you want that freedom of forgiveness? You've got to forgive. But it's going to be inconvenient. Here's what I mean by that. Forgiveness don't happen when you want it to. It happens because it has to. It's not about, ah, I feel like I want to forgive today. I might forgive. You know what? I'm going to let them suffer about two more weeks. I'm going to ignore their calls for two more weeks, and then, and then I'll forgive them. And I'm not talking about these lames that we, we, you may be dating. I'm talking about people that you genuinely love, like family. I'm talking about the hardcore type of stuff. I'm talking about people close to you. Don't be ignoring them. Forgive them so that you can be free. Amen? Number two, fulfillment 
of, of, of this, uh, of your purpose will be, will inconvenience you. But guess what? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Watch this. 37, 36 and 37. Now, uh, I mean, I mean, 35. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. It's going to cost you. Your purpose that God has for you is going to cost you. It's going to definitely cost you time. It's definitely going to cost the use of your talents. But I'm going to be straight up and say it. It's going to cost you some money. Whatever you're trying to do in this life that God has called you to do is going to cost you some money. I said this last week. You don't have enough time. You, don't, you have enough time and energy. God has given you enough time and energy to do everything he's called you to do. But you don't have enough time to do, or energy to do stuff that he has not called you to do. You don't. So anytime somebody says, you know what, oh man, I wish there was more hours in a day. Uh-uh, because you're spending your time wrong. You're spending your time wrong. I wish there was more. Uh, oh, I just wish I had just one more day. I wish I had more. No, no, no. Watch this. I wish I had a little bit more money. No, you're spending your money wrong. <laughs> God, everything you need to do for God, he's giving you the resources to do. Anything above that. You have overspent time, talent. How many of you give your talent to something and you just worn out like, oh my gosh, and then you don't see no benefit of it? Come on. Giving people your, 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 your wisdom, giving people advice, and they ain't taking it. And you're just like, I'm just so tired. you ignoring their calls. They might be getting ready to bless you, and you ignoring them because you're so tired of spending your talent wastefully because you're not spending it on what God called you to spend it on he didn't give you talent to make a whole bunch of money he didn't give you talent to be influential he gave you talent for your purpose and how do you know you're serving in your purpose when you ain't never tired <laughs> when you have acts excess right and watch this and you look forward to doing it my father told me something a long time ago. He says, son, once you discover your purpose, guess what? You'll never work a day in your life. And that was true. I never felt like I was playing. Whenever being a musician felt like work, I quit. Right? Like if I was playing for a band and it felt work and I felt like, oh, I don't feel like playing tonight, I'm leaving that band. Whenever it felt like work, I'm not doing it because I'm not supposed to be on that stage. And guess what? The minute I say no, God puts me on a stage or platform I'm supposed to be on and gives me greater. When you serve it in your purpose, you never feel like you're working. Right. And I know some of y'all got some really amazing jobs and you're tired. I'm not saying quit your job. Please don't don't do that. OK, because that affects everybody that affects your household, that affects your children, that affects your church. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Listen, I'm going to do my job. You just keep doing your job. My job is to let you know how you should spend your money. Glory to God. <laughs> Will, you understand. Listen, number three. When you're in your purpose, it changes lives. If you're the only person benefiting from your purpose, you're not in your purpose. God never gave you purpose and created you and said, listen, I'm going to create you 
and I want you to just be blessed all by yourself. No, he didn't do that. He went and told Adam and Eve, watch this. He said, I created you. I gave you purpose. You did a good job with that, Adam. You did a real good job. I created you, Eve, and, 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 and I gave you purpose, and you did a good job. Now, somewhere in between, y'all messed up because I didn't give y'all a tutorial on how to do this. I told y'all what not to do, right? And you fell for temptation, but I love you, right? So he still blessed them, even though they messed up. This is what he says. He says, now be fruitful and multiply, their purpose was to be fruitful and multiply. Everything I've given you dominion over, be fruitful and multiply. Right? Let me tell you what fruitful is because you look at that, it's like, isn't fruitful and multiply the same thing? Like fruit producing a bunch of fruit, multiply more of that same thing? It's different. Fruitful is goodness. You can't be an apple tree and produce oranges. Right? That's not called fruitfulness. You can only produce what you are. You can only reproduce what you are. Right? You, you, listen, we are all humans in here. You can't lay down with your spouse and y'all have puppies. You know why? That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to lay down with your spouse and have babies, humans. Why? To reproduce what you are. That's the purpose. Your purpose in, the li- in life is to reproduce who you are. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about purpose-driven, right? Reproduce who you are. Who are you? I'm a child of God. So as a parent, you think your job is to raise your kids, feed them, get them into the best schools, get the best scholarships, and God is like, no, your purpose is to reproduce who you are. If you are a child of God, your children should be children of God. Your first discipleship mission is in your house. Not on the mission field. The mission field is your address, not this address. Reproduce who you are. That is your purpose. Your talent that God gave you is to reproduce who you are. It starts at your home. Next place it starts at, your place of influence. Where do you work at? Next place it happens in your school, in your community. You are constantly, all of us are called to reproduce who we are. How do I know that? Because the, 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 the greatest commandment, right? I mean, the great commission says to go, disciple them, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and, and Holy Ghost. And this is what he said. This is the, the great commission for all Christians. And teach them everything I've taught you. In teaching them everything I taught you, what do you think you're doing? You're reproducing yourself. That's what Jesus did when he left. He took 12 disciples and he reproduced himself and said, I'm going to do even greater works in you. Why? Because I'm reproducing myself in you 12. One of y'all ain't going to get it, but the other 11 will. But y'all replace that knucklehead who's going to miss it. And the church is here today. Why? Because they reproduce themselves. The church is still here right now. Why? Because we continue to reproduce ourselves. That's our purpose is reproduction. All of us have a purpose. And if what you're doing in your life does not fulfill your God-given purpose, you are out of line. Well, pastor, help me now understand how am I supposed to do that? Well, here it is. I want you all to write this down. To grab your phones, this is a moment. If you want to grab your phones, take a picture of what I'm going to do here. Everything, when you get your calendar, 
When people ask for a meeting, when you get your bonus, when people uh, uh, ask for advice, this is what, follow me. I want y'all to take a picture of what's going to be on the screen. Ask yourself three questions every time these things happen. Here it is. Number one, how is my talent being used in fulfillment of God's purpose? How is my time being, yeah, I did it out of order, but y'all get it. It's on the screen. Right? Every time somebody asks you, how's my time being used? How's my talent being used? How's my money being used? Is this money in sync with my purpose? Is this meeting in sync with my purpose? Is this person in sync with my purpose? Because I want to tell you something. There's people that cannot go where God wants you to go. There are people that, listen, you should not be in relationship with. They're not going to help you fulfill your purpose. Let me tell you something. For the first seven years of ministry, I had a group of pastors that I called overseers that I prayed with and they advised me that, that, that did tremendous things. They got us to this point, but they will not get us to the next point. So I've shifted my advisors. I've shifted my overseers. To people that are speaking at where we are in this season. That's normal. When you get married, right, those friends you had before, they may not be able to hang. I'm not saying they're bad people, but they may not understand. I'm not saying they're horrible people, but they may not. If they can't speak into your marriage, they got to go. If they can't connect with what the institution of marriage is, they got to go. If they can't come to where you are, they got to go. You have to be able to, that's the only way you fulfill your God-given purpose. So I want you guys, I dare you, make this your back, drop on your computer, on your screen or whatever, uh, print it, put it on your mirror. But I really, because guess what? I really mean that when I said that. You have enough time and energy. God has given every single one of us enough time and energy and even resources to do everything he needs us to do. But if you ever feel like you don't have enough time, you need to reevaluate where you're spending your time. If you ever feel you don't feel like you have enough money, you need to reevaluate where you're spending your money. If you ever feel that you don't have enough energy, you need to figure out where you're spending your energy. Because working for God, he says this, listen, my yoke is easy. In other words, to be connected with me, that's what a yoke is, a connection that joins you, that connects you. He says, my yoke is easy. And when you are yoked to God, purpose is easy. And my burden is light. Any burden you face while you're on the road um, called purpose will be light. You will never be stressed out about what God wants you to do. It will stretch you. It will inconvenience you. But it won't stress you. Catch what I said. It'll stretch you. It'll inconvenience you. But what God wants you to do won't stress you. And when I look at the moments I'm stressed out, When I look at the moments where I'm stressed out as a pastor, can I be transparent? The moments I'm stressed out as a pastor, I look up and I can't blame God. I have to look at the things that are stressing me out. And it's never y'all. It's never the church. It's outside trainers that take my energy and then I come in here with what's left and then I'm stressed out. And that's not how God wants it. God doesn't want what's left over. He wants to be the priority. So guess what I do? Cut, block ministry. You follow what I'm saying? Some people I just ain't going to relate to because they're not 
supposed to be with me where I'm going. And they're slowing down the pace because of the dead weight that they have. And I'm dragging them along when I should be cutting them off. And that's what I'm trying to tell you today. You want to be all in? (laughs) It's going to require some cutting. And the first place to go is is you. You have to look internally. What do I need to cut? Who do I need to forgive? Who am I still mad at that I haven't forgiven? Now, here's the thing. Let me, let me, and I got to end right here. I'm way over time. Please don't text and call them. Don't DM them talking about, you know what, let me make this right. If it's a loved one, a family member, call them. If it's somebody from your past that you've dated, forget them. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.